Welcome to the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. We come to you weekly from Shilling Speakers Toastmasters Club. An online club with global membership in District 91 in the UK. Welcome to this week's edition of the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. This week it's me, Pat Caslin. And me, Philippa Gray. So Philippa, what's been on your mind this week? Lots of random stuff, Pat. Yeah, I've been inspired by... You're incorporating poetry into last week's Chilling Speakers meeting. Been thinking about poetry and how to incorporate more of it into my life. Every so often I make a promise to myself I'll read a poem a day, but I don't stick to it for very long. I'm not sure why, because finding a short poem is um, not exactly difficult. But yes, I'm... Yeah, I'm struggling here because I'm having, say, so many thoughts around poetry, like, what is it? And why don't I try and write some? And what's my favourite poem? And is it enough to read poetry on the page or do I need to speak it out loud? I think I need to add a minimum to actually make an effort to hear it in my head and you know, the more you speak it out loud, the better you know the poetry. So I had an interesting experience at my father's funeral. I read two of his favourite poems. And aside from the emotion, it's not that easy for me. And I'm not sure why, because my father loved poetry. I had a, a thorough education in English literature up to the age of 16. I didn't pursue it beyond that, but that was my choice. Um, I'm sure I've been exposed to poetry throughout my life, but then you come to think, well, what is poetry? It doesn't have to rhyme. It doesn't have to have meter. I've studied classical Greek and their, their poetry just followed a set formula. Uh, shorts, syllables and long syllables so yeah it's a sort of slippery subject and there's poems I know really well and every time I read them I feel the meter maybe should be a bit different or I should have yeah approach them a bit differently much more familiar with poetry than I am not really but um what were the two poems that your father that you read at your father's funeral uh one was an ode by Keats you know, I've forgotten, uh, forgotten the formal title, but it's about it's about death, but using sleep as a metaphor for death. Mm-hmm. And the other one was Yeats, uh, Eid, Dreams of the Cloth of Gold. Oh, that's, that's Yeats. Press softly. Um, Sorry? Yeah, that, that's Yeats's most famous poem, Had I the Heavens Embroidered Cloths. Yes, that's it. Golden and Silver Light, The Blue and the Dim and the dark cloths of night and light and the half-light. I would spread the cloths under your feet, but I, being poor, have only my dreams. I spread my dreams under your feet, tread softly, because you tread in my dreams. Yes, he that's wishes, the one. Yeah, mm-hmm. he wishes for the cloths of heaven. Ah. The love poem. Mm-hmm. Fantastic poem. Um, I love it, and I love I love the language in it, but maybe, we'll, maybe let's talk about that, actually, um, when we get to it. But yeah, let's maybe to have a discussion on poetry as a middle part of this, yeah? Uh, yeah. And then I'll do something on poetry in the soapbox afterwards. 
um, on, you know, again, coming back to Yeats. Um, but yeah, I think poetry elevates us um, and makes us think because the words we use in prose are meant to mean what they what they say. The words we use in poetry imply the meaning that the poet wants us to get. So we use words differently in poetry than we would use in prose. I think that that's why I think poetry is fantastic because they allow you to change the sequence and the and the use of words and the 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 adjacencies around words to mean things that could be very very powerful and express them in a very very powerful way. You know. Uh, so, for example, they like Yeats is wishing wishes for the cloths of heaven. There's a wonderful contrast in the second line of that poem. It says, "Had I the heavens embroidered cloths, enwrought with golden and silver light." Now, enwrought is something to to, to have something that is wrought is solid. It's you know it's a term used in relation to you know steel and metal. Yeah, it's wrought iron. You know, but how do you have enwrought? with golden and silver light. Think of that as a contrast. What a fantastic word to put in there. Yeah, um, you know, so that's where I think, um, that's why Yeats was such a fantastic poem, poet rather, um, because he could come up with these word juxtapositions. And I'll talk a little bit about it later um, when yeah, I talk about the poem that I read after the contest because we had a little bit of time to fill in. And that was Yeats' The Stolen Child. But yeah, I'm completely agreement, in agreement with you on poetry. Poetry can elevate us. I was at a funeral actually a couple of years ago and there were two eulogies, or two, the, the man's, both the man's sons gave, um, you know, shared the eulogy. And the final words said were from Hamlet. And they were this, they were, good night, sweet prince and flights of angels sing you to your rest. I thought, how beautiful was that to finish a eulogy? Yes. Good night, sweet prince, and flights of angels sing you to your rest. Mm. And it was so appropriate, so apposite uh, for the man in question and for his son that did it. Um, I just thought, wow, fantastic. Poetry um, elevates us, no doubt about it. Yep. And that's reminded me of another aspect of poetry. Uh, watching Hamlet, you know, I've seen it a few times. I know the plot. You just sit back and are sort of waiting or enjoying each speech or each big speech as it comes for the poetry. Um, I don't know of any other play quite like that. I think this is why language is so important and how we use language. But in any case, let's um, maybe wrap up part one um, of the Shilling Toastmasters podcast for this week. In part two of the Shilling Toastmasters podcast, we're not going to interview anybody. Philip and I are going to have a discussion on poetry. Philip, do you want to take it away? Right. P perhaps, yes, perhaps pick your favourite poem or one of your favourite poems. Until we started recording this podcast and I heard what you had to say, my favourite poem was Apple Blossom by Louis McNeese. Okay. But the language in that, I think I like it because it's absolutely crystal clear. Uh, there's some clever rhymes. There's some variation of metre, which I actually love. It sort of settles down into a regular metre and then careers off in a completely different direction 
I have to look it up. I, unlike you, I don't know poems off by heart. But it starts, the first blossom was the best blossom for the child who had never seen an orchard. For the youth whom whiskey had led astray, the morning after was the first day. The first apple was the best apple for Adam before he heard the sentence. When the flaming sword endorsed the fall, the trees were his to plant for all. The first ocean was the best ocean from the, for the child from streets of doubt and litter. For the youth for whom the skies unfurled, his first love was his first world. But the first verdict seemed the worst verdict when Adam and Eve were expelled from Eden. Yet when the bitter gates clanged to, the sky beyond, and the last ocean is the first ocean. And however often the sun may rise, a new thing dawns upon our eyes. For the last blossom is the first blossom, and the first blossom is the best blossom. And when from Eden we take our way, the morning after is the first day. Now, I, as I said, I love the clarity of the message. I love the uh, way it undercuts the morality I was brought up with, um, which paid lip service to forgiveness, but it was quite obvious that forgiveness never really happened. This is saying, no, you get up and it's a new day and you start afresh. Loss of innocence is an illusion. It's irrelevant. Just get on with your life as if today was your first day. Yeah, it's a, it's a lovely poem, actually. Um, I'm not, I wasn't familiar with it, but I will look at it and see what I can take from it. I keep some poems on my, on my phone so that I can, I can access them whenever um, I want. And there's a few of them that I like them because they tell me, they tell me stories or they say things. Let me see which ones. And I've probably used some of them before. One I, one I really like is by an Irish poet called Austin Clark. It's called The Planter's Daughter. When night stirred at sea and the fire brought a crowd in, they say that her beauty was music in mouth and few in the candlelight thought her too proud for the house of the planter is known by the trees. Men that had seen her drank deep and were silent. The women were speaking wherever she went as a bell that is rung or a wonder told shyly and oh, she was the Sunday in every week. Beautifully simple, but there are few, and the rhyming scheme I love, um, but also the, um, the alliteration in the second stanza, the women were speaking wherever she went, WWSWSW, just a beautiful alliteration. And the, and the description of men who had seen her drank deep and were silent. The sense of satisfaction in that phrase is very, very powerful. Yeah, really nice, really nice poem, poem that I like. But the poem I probably most like, Actually, this is interesting. Everybody knows Stopping by the Woods in a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost, yeah? And it seems like it's quite a light poem, but I actually think it's quite a dark poem. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near between the woods and frozen lake the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of the sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep. I think that what Frost was thinking there was the um, the woods are lovely, dark and deep, 
you know, I could go in there and top myself and nobody would ever find me. But I have promises to keep. And and why he doesn't is that um, he's promises to keep the, yeah, it's, I think it's quite a dark poem. Um, though something that is very innocuous and light and very much favoured um, um, poem of Robert Frost. Again, a wonderful poem. Give me another one of your favourites. Well, I first heard that Robert Frost poem in an anthology for children. Okay. And yes, I found it, I didn't give it much thought, but yes, there's something resonated inside me, which is the power of poetry. You know, it wasn't just a sort of nice imagery. It was quite uh, dark in some ways. But that's reminded me another poem that absolutely caught my imagination uh, pre-teenager was, I'm going to have to look up the uh, title and the poet, but it was about uh, Mexican volcanoes. And I spent, I loved the poem and I spent years thinking, how on earth do you say Papa Catapetl? Um only to find out relatively recently that Mexicans simply call it popo because they find popo catapetal a bit of a mouthful as well. That was about the glories of the landscape. And I shall, I think I've got it to hand. If you get a hold of it fairly quickly. Well, I've got the book fairly quickly, but actually finding the poem in it is a bit more of a challenge. So I shall have to have a think about that and come back to it. Is it Papa, Cap Papa Catapetal by John Knight? Can't imagine there's more, there's many poems about Papa Catapetal. It does it start, it was on my list of things to see before I went to glory. That sound familiar? No. No? Okay. Gosh, this is, this is absorbing. Just think of a poem and try and find it. And... There must be another one then. Yeah. Something Two more poems familiar. Something more familiar. Oh, right. Um, well, if you really want familiar, Wordsworth, I wandered lonely as a cloud. Now, that didn't particularly, didn't grab my attention. I studied it as a teenager. I didn't object to it, but mm. didn't really have any emotional resonance until, well, we're back to funerals. Um, my cousin talked about it at my aunt's funeral and how much the poem meant to her. Uh, it's the only funeral I've been to that's based around the theme of flowers. And say, hearing the poem in that context really sort of added the emotional kick that was missing. We do need an emotional connection with the poem, mm -hmm. don't we? Yes. Yeah, whatever that is. Let me give you another one. And this one is by a lady called Edna St. Vincent Millay. Ever heard of her? Yes, I have. This one is um, What Lips My Lips Have Kissed, and it's very interesting. What lips my lips have kissed, and where and why, I have forgotten. And what arms have lain under my head till morning, but the rain is full of ghosts tonight that tap and sigh upon the glass and listen for reply. And in my heart there stirs a quiet pain for unremembered lads that not again will turn to me at midnight with a cry. Thus in the winter stands the lonely tree, nor knows what birds have vanished one by one, yet knows its boughs more silent than before. I cannot say what loves have come and gone. I only know that summer sang in me a little while 
that sings in me no more. It's quite a wistful poem. It certainly is, yes. But but I'm interested in the first line and the first word in the poem, what lips my lips have kissed and where and why. Not whose lips, what mm. lips. Yeah. And I, that, that always struck me about this poem is there's something quite detached about it. Yes. Was the the intimacy was missing in the use of that uh, word what rather than whose. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It says a lot in a very small space. It does, doesn't it? But um, I think Edna St. Vincent Millet was responsible for my candle burns at both ends. It will not last the light. It will not last the night. But oh, my foes are my friends. It gives a wondrous light. Yes, that is exactly correct. Yes. Yeah, that's her. That's Edna St. Vincent Millay, all right. <laughs> and is she responsible for, by Grand Central Station, I sat down and wept? Um, I don't know. Mm. Almost a poem in itself. I'm coming up with a Canadian author, um, Elizabeth ah. Smart. Mm? Yes, Elizabeth Smart. Yeah. Yeah. There you are. Is that a good poem? Yes. Um, I'm trying to remember. Is it even a poem? Yes. There seem to be a number of books um, with that title, all right. Yeah. I'm going to have to investigate this further. Okay, well, let me do a final one then. Let me see. Um, something on the lighter, um, on the lighter side, something I use um, occasionally when I talk to people. It's um, this one here. It's by a lady called um, Jessie B. Rittenhouse. And it's really a ditty, but there's a lot in it. Um, I bargained with life for a penny and life would pay no more. However, I begged at evening when I counted my scanty store. For life is just an employer. He gives you what you ask. But once you have set the wages, why well, you must bear the task. I, I worked for a menial's hire, only to learn dismayed that any wage I had asked of life, life would have willingly paid. Mm. Don't set your sights too low. <gasps> Can you read that again? I want to hear that again. Sure. I bargained with life for a penny, and life would pay no more. However, I begged at evening when I counted my scanty store. For life is just an employer. He gives you what you ask. But once you have set the wages, why, well, you must bear the task. I worked for a menial's hire, only to learn dismayed that any wage I had asked of life, life would have willingly paid. Nice, isn't it? Yes. Powerful. Mm. And a little ditty. Yes. So I think my, my definition of poetry has to be something that is... Words that are far more than the sum of their parts. Yes, yes, I think that's, I like that. I like that. Words that suggest complex things to us and, yeah, and ask us to think about them. Yeah. Yeah. I think we'll end part two there. So that's the end of part two of this week's edition of the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. Welcome to part three of the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. This week, Pat is going to talk in depth about a particular poem. So Pat, which poem is it? So on the um, last Wednesday, um, we had our Shilling Toastmasters contest and I was contest chair. 
Um, and after my interview with Carol Bosser, um, I quoted something to her from Yeats, which um, which she found valuable. And that was that education is more about filling the pail than lighting the spark, whereas it should be the other way around. And given that we had a couple of minutes after the interviews um, and before the results announcement, I thought I'll continue on the Yeats theme um, and I'll read a Yeats poem. Um, so I did. And the poem I read um, was The Stolen Child. So The Stolen Child um, was written in the mid-1880s when Yeats was um, in his mid-twenties. Um, and it is um, a poem about Sligo and Leitrim, mainly Sligo, um, where he spent his summers. And it goes like this. Where dips the rocky highland of Sleuthwood in the lake, there lies a leafy island where flapping herons wake the drowsy water rats. There we've hid our fairy vats full of berries and the reddest stolen cherries. Come away, O human child, to the waters and the wild, with a fairy hand in hand, for the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. Where the wave of moonlight glosses the dim grey sands with light, Far off by furthest rosses, we footed all the night, weaving olden dances, mingling hands and mingling glances, till the moon has taken flight. To and fro we leap and chase the frothy bubbles, while the world is full of troubles and anxious in its sleep. Come away, O human child, to the waters and the wild, with a fairy hand in hand, for the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. Where the wandering water gushes from the hills above Glencar, in pools among the rushes that scarce could bathe the star. We seek for slumbering trout and whispering in their ears, give them unquiet dreams, leaning softly out from ferns that drop their tears over the young streams. Come away, O human child, to the waters and the wild, with a fairy hand in hand, for the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. Away with us he's going, the solemn-eyed. He'll hear no more the lowing of the calves on the warm hillside, or the kettle on the hob sing peace into his breast, or see the brown mice bob round and round the oatmeal chest. For he comes, the human child, to the waters and the wild, with a fairy hand in hand, for the world's more full of weeping than he can understand. So that's Yeats's The Stolen Child, based on mythology, huge um, mythological connection with the fairies, but particularly the fairies. And the fairies had a, a very prominent place in Ireland mythology, in Irish mythology, so that if there was a fairy fort, which was a certain collection of, of rocks or a mound in the middle of a field, nobody would ever touch the fairy fort because it would be something that would be cursed and you would have bad luck for the rest of your life or you would have an accident if you were moving it. But let me let me just take you through this. Each verse in this, the first three stanzas start with where where the dips the rocky highland of Sleuthwood in the lake. Sleuthwood is a place where the where there is a mountain um, rocks and it comes down to a lake. The second stanza says, where the, where the wave of moonlight glosses, the dim grey sands with light, far off by furthest Rosses. The furthest Rosses is Rosses Point. And in Rosses Point, there's a certain place on the, or a certain promontory um, on the beach where if you go asleep, the fairies will steal your soul. This is this is a reference to to where the fairies tend to tend to be, and the third stanza starts where the wandering water gushes from the hills above Glencar. Glencar is a lake 
just across the um, border from Sligo into Leitrim, County Leitrim, uh, with, with a waterfall. And they again, a, a lovely place. So this is very firmly based on the geography of Sligo and on the mythology um, of County Sligo in Ireland. But a lot of people have said, um, or a lot of reviews that I've read say that this is a poem about the difficulties of living in the present um, and the charmed life that fairies had come away. You know, for the world is more full of weeping than you can understand. The world is really a sad place. But I actually think this is quite a sinister poem in so many ways, right? But the first of all, in, in, this, in the refrain, uh, with a fairy hand in hand. So who goes hand in hand? Um, mothers and their children go hand in hand. So the fairy is basically taking this child by the hand and taking it into fairyland. The, the, and you, you begin to see the, uh, as I see, the deviousness of the fairies um, in the first verse. There we've hit our fairy vats full of berries and the reddest stolen cherries. Now, tell me, they, they also, yeah, I, I love the, the, the movement in the poem, uh, particularly in the second stanza, where the wave of moonlight glosses the dim grey sands with light. Far off by furthest rosses, we foot it all the night, weaving olden dances, mingling hands and mingling glances, till the moon has taken flight. There's a lovely movement in that whole uh, part. And then the, the sense of you know, joy, to and fro we leap and chase the frothy bubbles. Um, then the, the, the downer, while the world is full of troubles and anxious in its sleep. But it's in the third stanza that the fairies basically, you say, what are these guys at? Um, because the we seek for slumbering trout and whispering in their ears, give them unquiet dreams. What are you doing? You know, um, why are you upsetting the trout? Uh, leaning softly out from ferns that drop their tears over the young streams. But in the last stanza, um, it, this is where I think it, it's really sinister. Away with us, he's going, the solemn-eyed. So the child now is, is you know, is solemn-eyed. Um, and the, the, what he's losing then comes out. He'll hear no more the lowing of the calves on the warm hillside or the kettle on the hob sing peace into his breast. So think about that, that what he's leaving and what he's been taken away from um, is the, 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 the sound of things that are familiar um, and, and, and the use of the word warm. He'll hear no more the lowing of the calves on the wall on the warm hillside. So this is somewhere that he is naturally should be. Or the kettle on the hob sing peace into his breast. And what that's saying, he's, he will have no peace anymore. You know, so I think this is just um, just a, quite a sinister um, poem, you know. So for he comes the human child to the waters and the wild with a fairy hand in hand for the words more full of weeping than he can understand. Well, I think the world is probably a little bit more full of deviousness um, than the fairies are allowed to see. Um, so I think this is a poem that is a little bit frightening um, in many ways. That, and certainly there's more to frighten me in this um, than there is to um, uplift me um, in terms of what the fairies are doing. I'm not sure they're rescuing him as they are stealing him. So I think the title, The Stolen Child, is probably right. Um, the language is fantastic. You know, think about the movement in the very first line where dips the rocky highland of Sleuthwood in the lake. The, the sense of movement in that is just incredible. 
um, where the wave of moonlight glosses the dim grey sands with light. Again, beautiful image um, of the, the moonlight on the sand um, and the word glosses. You know, glosses is sharp and it's not sharp, but it's um, it's shiny. Uh, you know, you can only imagine what the sand will look like in that. So I think the language in the poem is fantastic. And that's something that Yeats was absolutely brilliant at. So there you go. There is my take on the um, Stolen Child, um, having been um, playing around with it now for the last week or so since the contest. So that's the end of part three of the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. That's it for today from the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and share with your friends.